Discipleship is the process by which we become more Christ-like as a follower of Jesus. And this is the desire of many, but the problem for why so many people are unable to commit to whole life discipleship is because they are unwilling to pay the price of discipleship. Therefore, it's important that we first understand the price for discipleship and to see if we're willing to pay for it in order that discipleship can then be a way of life for us. A few years ago, I took my wife on a Valentine's dinner. I took her to a restaurant of my choosing, which was a steak restaurant. But the real reason I chose that restaurant was because someone had given me a gift certificate on my birthday to that restaurant. And nothing beats a date when it's free. So I told my wife, order whatever you want, and I ordered my food. But in the back of my mind, I was calculating how much the total would be. Because you know, when you have a gift certificate, you don't want to pay more than that gift certificate amount. Well, when I did the math, I realized after we finished our dinner, we didn't have enough for dessert. So I told her, honey, we've eaten so much, maybe we can skip dessert this evening, which we did. Well, I thought we could leave because the gift certificate had paid for the dinner. And so I left the gift certificate at the table. And as I stood up, the waiter came over and said to me, Sir, you still have a balance. And I thought to myself, I had calculated it correctly. We're under the GC value. So I asked for the bill. And as I looked over it, I realized I had forgotten to calculate the VAT and the service charge. Well, it wasn't a big deal, and I paid for it. But as I was driving home, I thought to myself, you know, it's so funny. Even though the dinner was supposed to be free, I thought, it really wasn't. This is the reality of life. Nothing is free. Nothing in life comes for free. It's a lesson I was reminded of that night. There's always a cost involved. Yes, we may get free food, but it costs someone something to pay for that free food of yours. But on a deeper level, our salvation might be free for us, but it costs Jesus Christ His life. And so it is also in the process called discipleship, the journey to be more and more like Christ, and with that, that life transformation that is supposed to come. It doesn't just happen. There is a price that you and I must be willing to pay for. There is a price of discipleship. There is a cost to following Jesus. What is that price? Let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, as we take a look at verses 23 to 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. And as you turn to this passage, I'm going to begin one verse back to give you context to what was spoken here. In verse 22 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells the disciples that the Son of Man would suffer to be rejected and then die. That is the context by which Jesus then speaks, verses 23 to 27. It is in light of Jesus being rejected and then killed that those who follow Him to be His disciples could and would have to possibly go through similar consequences. Jesus means no words. He told it like it is, and He would tell them there is a price for whole life discipleship. In these verses, we're going to see three prices we must be willing to pay to walk the path of discipleship. Look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
There it is, right there in verse 23. The first price that must be paid for the price of discipleship. Number one, the price of self-denial. The price of self-denial. Self-denial in this context has the idea of forsaking one's personal ambitions and desires in order to fulfill the will of God. You know, it's easy, we think, to give up certain things. And so we say, well, we can give up our car, we can give up our house, we can give up luxuries like eating out. But it's more than simply giving up something in terms of a physical object. Here in this context, it means giving up your own will, your own desire for your own life in order so that you can live your life for Jesus. It means living for His sake rather than our own. If you want to follow Christ, you and I have to give up our own life to live for Him. The Bible is very clear. You cannot serve two masters. Either you can serve God or you can serve the world. Discipleship and life transformation requires that we give up how we want to live and even give up how we think others want us to live and to live in a manner that God desires. This involves giving up control of our own dreams and our own desires, and it is very hard. And the reason so few people are willing to pay the price of self-denial is because we ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth the price? Well, in the historical context, this was spoken to the 12 disciples. Was it hard for them? Sure. If you remember, the disciples had to be called out from their own occupation to actively engage in the ministry of Jesus Christ in full-time service. Peter, John, James, and any of the other fishermen could have had a fleet of boats and have been quite wealthy. The Sea of Galilee was the only fresh water source that fed the entire region. Matthew could have continued as a tax collector to earn money on the side. He would have made a lot of money. They could have been quite wealthy, but they left everything the Bible says to follow Jesus. No doubt many thought that the disciples had thrown everything away. They had thrown their lives away. They had given up their sources of income, their reputations, their standards of living to be associated with Christ. Was it a right decision for them? It was, and it was worth it. In fact, this question of the worth of paying the price of self-denial is further extrapolated in verses 24 to 25. Look at verse 24 with me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus assures his disciples that they were doing the right thing by paying the price of self-denial because it involves a loss. You see, this verse shows the contrast of what they were giving up versus the loss that they would have to take. Well, the first contrast in verse 24 shows us that yes, the world can provide again, but what God provides is something so much better. Yes, it will involve giving up something now with the faith that God will make it up to you, that God will abundantly reward any sacrifice that a disciple of His makes in order to follow Him faithfully. Did you hear that? That God will abundantly reward any disciple who sacrifices with loss and pays the price of self-denial in order to follow Him. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Yes, through the process of discipleship, we may lose friends. 
We may lose business opportunities. We may lose a life that we want, but we will gain an intimate relationship with the Lord. We gain living out His perfect will, which is always the best for us. We will gain His very best, His approval. But unless you separate from something, you cannot be attached to something else. You see, we have such a grasp onto the life we want in this world that unless we let go, we cannot follow Jesus, right? If you're holding on to something so tight and you are requested to carry something else, unless you let go, you're not going to be able to pick up something else. That's why throughout the Scriptures, Jesus is often talking about forsaking certain things. You must forsake certain things so that you can follow me. He understands fully that unless we let go, we won't be able to pick up. We won't be able to carry more. You know, there are a lot of people with lots of money and resources, but because they've never let go, they are unhappy, they are unsatisfied, they are aimless, and even worse, they will lose what they hold on to so tightly. The Bible tells us we have an option. We can choose to lose now, but God will make it up for us in greater, more abundant ways are we willing to take that risk. Look at verse 25. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? The second contrast in verse 25 involves giving up oneself to gain something else now or later. It's either now or later. You can either lose it now or lose it later. So we hope that you will choose rather to lose it now to gain what is more valuable and everlasting later versus losing that which is everlasting and of eternal value later. You know, who doesn't want the good things in life now? We all do. Who doesn't want the better life now? It's sad that so many people want the better life now that they choose to forgo the better things in the life later. Well, you ask the question, who doesn't want the better things in life now versus wanting the better things in life later? Everyone chooses the now. You know, this is a struggle that I have every morning, if I'm honest with you. When I wake up, I struggle with whether I should go exercise on the treadmill or not. If I do it now that morning, I think to myself as an excuse, I'm going to waste one hour of my day when I could be doing other things to begin the morning. But then I realize if I don't do it, that I may have a lower quality of life later in the future because I won't be physically fit, perhaps even developing diabetes or having heart disease, or maybe perhaps with my poor health will be bedridden later on in my life. So as hard as it is to get out of bed and to get on that treadmill in the morning and, and lose that hour, I quickly realize I would rather lose my time now than lose my quality of life in the future. You see... In the Bible, the option is very clear. The price of discipleship is self-denial. And that decision is a decision you and I must make. It's a hard decision. And God will not force us to make it. Do we want to lose now to gain later? Or do we want to gain now and lose out on something greater later? You know, God will be no one's debtor. The Bible tells us that. God owns everything in this world. When He promises us eternal security and eternal life and the riches of heaven, 
They aren't some sort of false notion to get us to live our lives for Him. Those are the true words of God. When we understand in life that God will never be anyone's debtor, He will always make it up. Many years ago, I struggled with coming back to the Philippines. I grew up in the U.S., lived there, educated there, and I had already given my life to serve the Lord as a pastor. And one of the things I did not want to do was to return back to the Philippines. I left at the age of five. And part of the struggle of not wanting to come back to the Philippines was not only was it a third world country, I realized that when we got married that our doctor had told us that my wife and I would have a very difficult time having children. We had gone to see some of the best doctors in America as it relates to fertility, and we were told that we may want to consider adoption. And I realized that if I were to come back to the Philippines, the chances of us having children would be much lower. You see, people here in the Philippines often fly to the U.S. to try uh, to have children with their medical advances. And I knew that by coming here, I was also giving up perhaps the chance of having my own biological children. But my wife and I prayed about it, and we came back to the Philippines permanently in 2005. And you know what was so interesting? A few days later, after we landed, we found out that Cindy was pregnant. And so our first child, Andrew, was born. That very first year, we were in country. And two years later, Nathan was born. And two years later, Janelle was born, our third. And by the time we got to our third, we said, Lord, Lord, we get it. Okay, enough. We understand how you can pour out your blessings in our life if only we are willing to self-deny what we think we want. God will always outgive what we think He can give us. He will be no one's debtor. But yet it's still a hard question, and few people are willing to pay the price of self-denial because, quite frankly, we don't trust God that He will make it up to us. And so you and I have to make this decision. If we want to engage in whole life discipleship, are you and I willing to give up our ambitions, our own desires to follow Him? Because that is the price of discipleship. Who doesn't want the good things of life? Everyone does. But who doesn't want the better things that God can provide? I hope all of us will. Look again at verse 23. And Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The second price of discipleship is the price of commitment or the price of lifelong responsibility. Number two, the price of lifelong responsibility. The phrase, take up his cross daily, has with it the idea of rejection. Criminals in the Roman world went the path of crucifixion and as they walked down a path of shame, they carried the cross piece of their own cross, which was a horizontal bar. The cross was a symbol of death, as you know. A punishment meant only for the worst of criminals. And so carrying one's own cross therefore implied being and bearing the reproach and the burden associated with the path that you have chosen. For the common criminal, it was a chosen way of life, criminality. But Jesus, when He walked the path of Calvary, was walking a path of love for our sin. And so when He tells us to take up our cross daily, it means that we are identifying with Jesus. We too are going to walk this path of shame to the world, but for the Lord's glory. 
You see, it's not simply carrying the cross. It's carrying it daily. That's what the Bible tells us. Take up your cross daily. That's what I mean when I talk about lifelong responsibility. It is a commitment. Every day you and I must carry this burden, the responsibility to live for Jesus. You and I as a Christian can't have a day off from not being a Christian or living out the Christian life. You and I can't say, well, you know what, I don't think I want to live a Christian life today anymore because the world is watching. Or perhaps you're carrying the cross and, and, and it's too difficult, this cross of Christ. And you look around and you see that no one else seems to be carrying this cross with you. And so you want to put your cross down because the people around you, your family and friends, aren't walking with their crosses heavily on them. Well, unfortunately, that's not an option. The Bible tells us the day you take a break, the day you take a break from carrying your cross and stop living as a follower of Christ is the day the world looks at you and calls you and I a hypocrite. A hypocrite. That's why you know the number one reason why non-believers don't want to be Christian. It's not because it's so hard to believe Jesus. It's often because of other Christians. They look at the life of other Christians and they say, if this is a follower of Jesus Christ, one who claims they are a follower of Christ and they don't live and walk the talk, then I don't want to live their life. They are hypocrites. You and I are always on call. When we say we are Christians, followers of Christ, then we have committed to paying the price of commitment, which is a lifelong responsibility. The imagery is stark. As those in those days were called to bear the cross publicly, there was no private carrying of the cross, and traveling a road full of ridicule and burden, followers of Jesus Christ have to bear this burden that other non-Christians and non-disciples do not have to bear. But when you say, I'm a follower of Christ, intrinsically in that statement comes with it the price of a lifelong responsibility to live out your commitments for Jesus. And that is what's missing in our generation today. We have forgotten that we need to live a life of commitment. That is the price, that is the cost, that is the consequence of following Jesus the price of discipleship is a lifelong responsibility in daily commitment to Christ, rejecting daily the world. How many of you, when you wake up every morning, say, Lord, I determined to live this day for you. If not, you should. You and I should be making that daily commitment to Him every morning. Why? Because every day, the world is asking us to make a commitment to it. And so you and I must reaffirm that commitment every day to live for the Lord as a testimony to the unbelieving world, to your friends and family. You and I must be reminded of this because it reminds us that there are places that I choose not to go. There are things I choose not to drink. There are things I choose not to say. There are things I choose not to do. Because I am carrying the cross of Christ. And if I'm carrying the cross of Christ, then I can't be saying or doing these things. You are saying, I am rejecting the things of the world and bearing the burdens of the cross. It is hard, my friends, to be a cross-bearer, I know. That's why it is a price you and I must pay. I remember the story of a young man that 
that was at the end of his rope. He was at the end of uh, sanity, seeing no way out of the troubles that he had. He dropped to his knees in prayer. He said, Lord, I can't go on. He told the Lord, I have too heavy a cross to bear. Well, the Lord replied to him, My son, if you can't bear its weight, just place your cross inside this room. Then open that other, other door and pick out any cross you wish. The man was filled with relief. He had such trouble carrying the cross that he was assigned. Thank you, Lord, he sighed. And he did as he was told. Upon entering the other door, he saw many crosses, some so large the tops were not even visible. Then he spotted a tiny cross leaning against a far wall. He said to the Lord, Lord, I think I'll take that little cross. And the Lord replied to him, My son, that's the cross you just brought in. My friends, when life's problems seem overwhelming, and it seems that the burden of the cross you're bearing is too much, it helps to look around to see what other people, perhaps in other countries, are coping with. You may find that you, instead of carrying a great burden, should consider yourself blessed. That our problems are not as bad as when we see other people's burdens and problems which the Lord has put on them. Our problems may be small in comparison. So my friends, enjoy your life and the cross that comes with it because you and I don't carry that cross alone. Our Lord enables us to carry the cross He has given us, but yet He tells us we must pick up our cross daily and you and I must every day wake up every morning and commit ourselves to following Jesus, actively reminding ourselves to do so. And then you will be able to engage in whole life discipleship. As Charles Spurgeon once said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Did you get that? It's wonderful. There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. May we all be willing to pay the price of a lifelong responsibility to be fully committed to the Lord. Look again with me at verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and here it is, and follow me. Follow me. The third price of discipleship is the price of identifying with Christ. Number three, the price of identifying with Christ. To follow Christ means you must identify with Him. To follow means to be a part of, to identify. And that's why baptism is so important. It's one of the ordinances of the Scriptures. If there are any Christians who are not baptized, then perhaps there's a problem with their desire to identify with Christ. Because when we are baptized, it is a symbolic act of publicly identifying with Him. You know, it's not easy to identify with Christ. Perhaps you're in the Philippines, it's a bit easier living in a more Christianized country. But there are so many in other parts of the world who are genuinely fearful for their lives if they were to identify with Jesus, thinking that jobs, careers, and reputations would be in jeopardy. And perhaps that, that may be so in your life, even here in the Philippines. But the reality is, in this context, the consequence for following Jesus was the consequence of following Him until death. 
And are you willing to do that? That is what Jesus was telling his disciples. Are you willing to follow me even to the point of death? Because that's the path I'm walking. That's the type of following in view. Following in the sense of identifying and following until the end. Not following when you feel like it. Not following only when it's convenient for you. Not following when you have time. That's how many Christians are. And then they wonder why their Christian life is inconsistent. This is a following and an identifying with Christ that is a lifelong commitment all the way to death. There's a legend that tells us that the Apostle Peter was fleeing with some others when Rome was under great persecution by Nero. Nero was persecuting the Christians in Rome. And it is in this traditional story, not in the Bible, that the Lord appears to Peter and asks of him, Quo vadis, which in Latin means, where are you going? So the Lord asked Peter, where are you going? Quo vadis. And Peter was reminded when that question was asked of him that he had been called to minister to those in Rome who were suffering persecution. And so he went back. And there in Rome he eventually died. Perhaps the same question is being asked of you. Quo vadis, where are you going? Where are you going when things are getting tough? Where are you going when things are getting hard? Do you identify with Christ when it's not popular to do so? Do you still hold on to your biblical convictions when the rest of the world believes you're a fool for holding on to what the truths of the Bible? There is a shame that comes with identifying with Christ from the world's perspective. But are you okay with it? Look at verse 26 with me. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Here the contrast is between glory, a personal self-good reputation, being liked by a lot of people now in the eyes of the world, versus the glory of being found right in God's eyes. Which will you and I choose? Jesus presents a glory that we should desire for, a future glory, with the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, with Christ's own glory. That's the type of reputation you and I should be seeking to achieve. But what is the glory and the reputation we want today? Sadly, many of us want the glory of the world today. We want people to like us, bottom line. And we need to understand that this world does not like the things of Christ. They don't like the teachings of Christ. And so you have to understand that if you identify with Christ, you and I will not be liked. There is an offense of the gospel we need to understand. And it is because we don't understand and are not willing to pay this price that we do not live out whole life discipleship. Look at verse 27. But I tell you truly... There are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Jesus was speaking of the three apostles who would accompany him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Transfiguration was a foretaste, a preview of the great glories of the kingdom. The shame of this world, when we identify with him, does not compare to the glory of following and identifying with Christ. Once you follow and identify with Christ then you will receive that 
wonderful future glory. But you know, when you identify with Christ, there is no unidentifying. You know, you're not a secret Christian. You're not a closet Christian who runs in stealth mode. When you say you are a follower of Jesus, it must be loudly proclaimed through your life, not obnoxiously, but so that the world knows. Remember Peter, the night of Jesus' crucifixion? Even though he tried his hardest not to identify himself as a follower of Christ, they all knew who he was. You were one of them, he says, and he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. You know, some of us, we want to play that game where we are in the middle. Yeah, call me a Christian. Yes, you know I go to church, I go to fellowship, I do Bible study. But I'm also wanting to be liked by the world. And so when the world points to us and says to us, accusingly and not very nicely, you're one of them. What's your response? Do you and I say, yes, we are one of them. I am one of them. I am a follower of Christ. Or do you shirk back and say, well, no, I'm really not. I just go to church. How do you identify, my friends? Many people need to understand that when we live out the Christian life, it's a way of life. You're not only a Christian on Sundays. You're a Christian 24 hours, 7 days of the week. It should come through second nature that your Christ-likeness is lived out. It's not you pointing to a certificate on the wall that says you're a Christian. It is a way of life you and I live. Christ-likeness is second nature to us. I was reading an article by Chuck Swindoll entitled Monday Morning Pulpits. He writes these words. Something bothers me when people discuss the subject of Christians and their work. You see, I frequently hear about Christians who are poor workers, not good employees. Some employers have even told me they prefer not to hire Christians. That's quite an indictment. As I probe for reasons, I hear the following. Their attitude Christian employees are negative, they're critical, presumptuous, and resistant to change. And they tend to take advantage of Christian bosses. Competence. The last few I've hired were incompetent. They couldn't do the job. Focus. They're preoccupied with other things, including witnessing and church activities and relationships unrelated to the workplace. And they justify it because of their Christian walk. Character. The last one I hired was just plain dishonest. Sundal writes, hopefully these represent only a small minority of workers who profess Christ. But show me lazy, negative Christians on the job and I'll show you an office or store or shop that's uninterested in the message of Christ. Like it or not, the world scrutinizes us with the watchfulness of a seagull peering a shrimp in shallow water. A believer at work is under constant surveillance. That's our number one occupational hazard. When we speak of our Savior and the life He offers, others filter our words through what they've already observed in our work. I once heard a man introduce himself as an ordained plumber. He correctly understood that his work was his calling. So is yours. Matter of fact, it's your ordained responsibility it's your pulpit before the world. Say, how's your Monday morning ministry coming along? 
It's a great question. When you identify with Christ and you go to the workplace, when you identify with Christ and you go to your school, when you identify with Christ and you interact with your family, you carry the name of Christ. And yes, the price you have to pay to be nice and kind and forward-thinking with an eternal mindset will cause you and I to have to do things that we may not like, may not be easy, but that is the price of identifying with Christ. I hope you and I understand this truth because so many of us are not willing to pay the price and not only are we not living out whole life discipleship, we're turning off the world to the wonders of Jesus Christ. In his book, Enjoying Intimacy with God by J. Oswald Sanders, he makes this piercing observation. He writes these words, We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price involved. When it comes down to it, the central problem is we are not prepared to pay the price involved. My friends, are you willing to pay the price of discipleship to deny yourself, to take on the lifelong responsibility to carry your cross daily? Are you willing to identify with Him and follow Christ to the end? There are costs, but the rewards are so much better. I end with this story in London. There is a restaurateur owner named Emil Mettler. Mettler would never allow a Christian worker or pastor to pay for a meal in his restaurant. But once he did happen to open his cash register in the presence of a pastor of the London Missionary Society, the pastor was astonished to see among the bills and coins a six-inch nail. What was it doing there in the cash registry? Mettler explained, I keep this nail with my money to remind me of the price that Christ paid for my salvation and of what I owe Him in return. My friends, when we talk about discipleship and talk about the price and the cost of discipleship, we have to understand it is very hard. It's costly to us. But what does it cost us compared to the one who had nails driven into his body so that he could save our soul for all eternity. Don't talk to me about the heavy cost of discipleship until you have counted the cost of your salvation. Don't talk to me about the heavy cost of discipleship until you have counted the cost of your own salvation. May we be challenged to embrace whole life discipleship, being completely sold out to following Jesus Christ in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. They are a great reminder of how we need to engage our life in this world. The reason we are not following you as closely as we should is because we are not willing to pay the price of discipleship. May it be that through your word, it will be a wake-up call to us in our church that each one of us making up this body would be willing to pay the high cost of following you 
so that we can impact our community for you. And whenever we feel that the cost of discipleship seems to be a heavy burden on us, may we be reminded of the cost of our salvation, a free gift to us, but costing you your life. And for that, we are focused even more to want to live this life for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.